0: The strength of my life. Yes, he is. Lord, we thank you. This another opportunity to come together. Pray, Lord God, that you'd fill, fill this place with your spirit. Lord, that we would hear from you, that we would know that you are here with us. And, and Lord, we pray uh, your will be done. My prayer, Lord God, is that it will be all of you, none of me, and that you would increase as I decrease, and that the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight. For Lord, you are my strength and you are my redeemer. In Jesus' name. would like to say thank you to our worship team. Always, yes, yes, always do such a wonderful job in helping us to be in the mood of praise and in a spirit of worship. It is important that we do that. So thank you, Michael and company. Amen. Amen. Um, For those of you that were uh, with us on last week, you know that we wrapped up on last week a series entitled God's Providence. We finished that up last week, that series that we had been in since Mother's Day. We wrapped it up on Father's Day, uh, on last Sunday. Uh, and that series, you will recall, is from one, was from, one of only two books in the Bible named after women, The Book of Esther we wrapped that up last week, God's providence. So today I'd like to begin a new series entitled, you ready for this? That's not the title. That's a question. (laughs) The title is The Best is Yet to Come. The best is yet to come. Uh, This series will be from then the second book and the only other book in the Bible named after a woman and that is the book of Ruth. And so for the next few weeks we'll travel through the entire book of Ruth and we will our minds and our eyes will be set on this theme, the bet the best is yet to come because if you know the story, you know that it starts one way but it ends another way and all throughout we keep in mind that the best is yet to come, and even after the story of Ruth ends, the best is still yet to come because of what happens in the book and the story of ruth the book of ruth the book of ruth chronicles a similarly similarly intriguing story as that of esther where we again see in this book and in this story god's hand of providence at work we see it again. We saw it all throughout Esther. We'll see it again in Ruth. These two stories indeed share some obvious commonalities as well as some notable contrast. There's some things that are, that are similar in the two and there's some things that are different In the two stories, Uh, both are historical narratives vital to the history of the nation Israel. Both of these stories. Uh, Feasts, the feasts, feasts are important in both of these books. Esther is read at the Feast of Purim as we closed out discussing last week. Ruth, on the other hand, is read by Jews at the Feast of Pentecost. Relatives play important roles in each of these books. Death is essential to the plot of both of these stories. Each story has someone who stood in the way of God's plan. Both Esther and Ruth were uh, foreigners living in a land other than their own. Both found favor in the eyes of those who saw them. Both were taken into homes of relatives. Both of their relatives were a blessing to others. Both were women of integrity. Both were submissive, willing to die in order to do God's will. Both uh, were dressed in special garments, you'll recall, in order to make their requests. Both brought joy to the Jews. Some of the many contrast between the two women as we have just discussed some of the commonalities some of the contrast are these Esther was a young Jewish girl who married a pagan Gentile king Ruth was a Gentile woman from a pagan country who married a Hebrew Esther was an orphan Ruth was a widow Esther was an exile. Ruth came to Israel voluntarily. Esther was a Jew living among Gentiles. Ruth was a Gentile living among Jews. Esther influenced many proselytes, while Ruth herself was a proselyte. Esther ruled in a palace. Ruth gleaned in a field. Esther was rich, and Ruth was poor. Esther was related to King Saul. We'll find out that Ruth was herself the great grandmother of a king. God saved Esther to protect the nation through whom the Redeemer would be born. God redeemed Ruth to perpetuate the line of our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. God is not mentioned at all in the book of Esther. But by way of contrast, God is mentioned 23 times in the 85 verses of the book of Ruth. Ruth contains several predominant biblical themes to encourage us, to edify us, to inspire us. Throughout the book of Esther, but Daniel, we see these themes that run throughout it. First one we notice is the sovereignty of God. It's the same theme from the book of Esther. The sovereignty of God. While the text in Ruth doesn't explicitly state how God worked uh, providential events together, it is though, clear that God was at work in so many amazing ways all throughout this book, just as he was in Esther. Ruth testifies to the reality that our God is very much at work, even in a broken world. That's important for us to know in times like this, that God is still in charge, that God is still on the throne, that he is still uh, overseeing things, even in a broken world. He's still in charge, even in unseen circumstances. Through the gracious providence of God, desperate widows in the book of Ruth are saved. A young honorable foreigner in the book of Ruth uh, is united with the son of Israel and a child is born into the lineage that led to the birth of the King of Kings, our Redeemer. Jesus Christ. So this theme of the sovereignty of God is present in Ruth. There's another theme that runs throughout. It's the theme of redemption. We see it throughout Ruth. At the core, Ruth is a story of redemption. Uh, Various forms of the Hebrew words redeem, redeemer, redemption, and kinsman, redeemer, are used 20 times in the book of Ruth. The story begins like that of Esther and all great stories with people facing what seems to be an insurmountable challenge. We saw it in Esther, we see it in Ruth. There seems to be this challenge that the people, uh, given their own strength, have no way of overcoming. But then as the narrative unfolds, we'll see that Ruth and Naomi's situation take several surprising turns that lead to a complete reversal. Remember that word from Esther? We saw the great reversal in Esther. We'll see another reversal here. A complete reversal of their situation. Not only are the physical lives rescued from poverty Naomi's beleaguered faith, her faith becomes beleaguered along the way because of what happens, but her beleaguered faith is restored. This once bitter woman finds new joy and delight as she witnesses the fulfillment of God's grand plan. There are three main characters throughout the book of Esther, uh, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. We'll get to know all of them shortly. They are the three main characters all characters, all throughout this story. Uh, we'll be introduced to them momentarily, but just remember, they are the central characters. There's this other theme of loyal love that runs throughout the book of Ruth. Uh, it's the Hebrew word hesed. It's the Hebrew word hesed, which means, which occurs throughout the story and speaks of loyalty born out of love and kindness towards others whom one is responsible for. It's this loyalty. It's this loyal love. All three of the main characters in this story, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, make key decisions to compassionately and sacrificially care for others. Their example is worthy of emulation and ultimately serves as a reminder of the compassionate and sacrificial love of our God. We see this theme, this this theme of hesed that flows throughout, this theme of sacrificial, loyal love. Ruth is a historical book that recounts events in the plan of God to rescue the world. Specifically, Boaz and Ruth have a child who becomes the grandfather of David. They are part of the royal line that leads up to Jesus's entrance into the world. So today, as we launch into this story, I'd like for us to examine just the first five verses of chapter one. Would you do that with me? We're going to read those first five uh, verses of Ruth chapter one together. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ruth chapter one. And I'm going to read verses one through five. And I'm reading again from the ESV version of the Bible. Would you join me in reading these verses? Verse one says this in the days when the judges ruled there was a famine in the land and the man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab he and his wife and his two sons the name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife was Naomi the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kalion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Mylon and Kalion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Just those first five verses, first five verses of Ruth chapter one. From these five verses, as we begin part one of our journey through the book of Ruth, I like to offer these words of warning to all of you, no matter what happens. Don't go to Moab. <laughs> no matter what happens, don't do it. Don't go to Moab. Uh, may I share something with you that you likely already know, but often we ignore? statement I'm about to make. It's not going to be anything revelatory. It's not going to be anything new. We know it, but we don't often follow it. Here it is. Impatience usually produces regrettable decisions. Let me say that one more time for those of you who didn't catch it. Impatience. Being impatient usually, oftentimes, most of the time produces regrettable decisions. It's not a good idea to get impatient, especially when dealing with God. It's not a good idea to do that. Uh, In the first five verses of the book of Ruth, we are introduced to the family of a man named Elimelech. We meet his wife, Naomi, and his two sons, Mylon and Kalion. Elimelech was in a God-imposed holding pattern. I talked about holding patterns a while back and Elimelech found himself smack dab in the he and his family in the middle of a God-imposed holding pattern and as he finds himself in this holding pattern he makes a rash decision that costs he and his family dearly. So I'd like to start Uh, by examining two aspects of Elimelech's life. Like, look at two aspects of his life. First, his circumstances. His circumstances. Elimelech seems like a pretty good guy. He seemed like a pretty good guy. He's a family man. He's an Israelite. He's not a pagan. His name even meant, my God is king. He seems like pretty, pretty good guy, right? Seems like he's an all right kind of dude. But here's the issue. He's faced with some circumstances. He's faced with some circumstances. Uh, the text says that he lived in the days when the judges ruled. That's circumstance number one. He lived in the days when the judges ruled, and that meant that it was bad times for Israel. They had become Canaanized. They had been become uh, caught up in the culture. They had given themselves over to the ways of the Canaanites. They had abandoned their monotheistic or one God uh, beliefs and succumbed to the polytheistic or multiple God beliefs of the Canaanites. They had abandoned Hero Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. They had abandoned the Hebrew Shema. They had given themselves over to the many, multiple gods of the Canaanites. This was the days when the judges ruled judges chapter 2 says after says this about these times after joshua died there arose another generation which knew not the lord nor the works which he had done for israel and they did evil in the sight of the lord and served balaam and ashtaroth this were the days; these were the days and the times that elimelech lived in It was the days when the judges ruled. This time could be summed up in the fact in the last verse of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25. Here's what it says. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, let me just tell you that it's never a good idea to depend on that is that it's never a good idea to depend on doing what's right just in your own eyes because I'm just going to speak for myself whenever I just depend on my thought process and my way of thinking and what I feel like is right normally if I don't seek the wisdom and the will of God normally it doesn't end well So then Elimelech is living in a time when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, having been co-opted and having been uh, uh, influenced by the Canaanites in their polytheistic ways. They were doing what they thought was right. Then the text says that as a result of this upheaval, because... Whenever people start to do what's right in their own eyes, there will be upheaval. So then, as a result of this upheaval, there was, text says, a famine in the land. That's what it says in verse 1. A famine in the land. As a result of the madness, as a result of the apostasy, as a result of the disobedience, as a result of all of that, there is this famine We often, this is not the first time, it's not the last time that we see famine in Scripture. We often see in Scripture that God will bring famine as a form of judgment. We see it in Scripture all the time that he he will allow famine to come as a form of judgment. Here, God's people had, had strayed and this was his way of calling them back to him. They had strayed away from him, and this was his way of, of calling them back. God often uh, orchestrates these famine experiences for us as well. It's not always judgment. Sometimes it's, it, it could be for various reasons, but we see famine times in our lives as well. It's not necessarily a, a, an absence of food, an absence of things like that, but there are different ty- types of famines that God will allow us to go through. And it's not always judgment. Sometimes it could be just to get our attention. Y'all a little bit too quiet for me today. (laughs) Uh, it It may come in the form of a financial famine. When there seems to be more month than money. Okay, if that one didn't hit you, it may come in the form of a physical famine. Where your health seems to be failing you. Okay, if I missed you there, there may be a spiritual famine. Where it seems like no matter what you do, it seems like God has absolutely left the building. You can't hear from him. You don't seem to be able to get a word through a prayer through. It seems like God's not listening. It feels like he's not doing anything. It feels like there is a spiritual famine going on. Now, one of those should have hit you because everybody in here has dealt with one or the other and some in here and some watching online have dealt with all of them. Amen, somebody. And so God will, God will allow these things. Whatever, whatever the case may be, whatever, whatever it is, it's a famine in our lives when we experience this. And God's intention do, during those times is not to drive you away from him. Is not to, to remove you and to drive you away from him, but to draw you nearer to him. He may be trying to do one of two things. He could possibly be trying to correct you, and all of us need correction every now and then. But that's not always the case because not only could he be attempting to correct, he could also be attempting to perfect He could be attempting to do either of those two things by allowing these famine experiences in our lives. And here it is, how you react to your famine experience determines whether it becomes a time of blessing or devastation. So so the prevailing question is, so it's not a matter of whether or not you'll have to go through one. (laughs) Because if you hadn't already, just keep going to bed and waking up. You will have to deal with one. I know you said, well, my bank account's pretty good right now. I'm not worried about a financial famine. Well, uh, there's a whole lot of folks that said that at the end of 2019. Hello, somebody. And then all of a sudden, this unprecedented stuff happens in the land, and now people who thought they had it made are in the line to pick up food. Hello, somebody. Or you say, well, my health is pretty good. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about my health. Health is pretty good. Until you come in contact with somebody that has the virus. That's right. Or old oh, age <laughs> Sets in. And all of a sudden, you thought you were doing okay. And then you wake up one morning and stuff just quit working. It can happen and so the question is not whether or not you will have these experiences. Here's the question, what do you do when it comes? How do you handle these famine experiences? Uh, It will, your reaction will determine whether you are blessed because of it or or whether you are devastated as a result of it. That's what will determine, Uh, which leads us then To the second point, we've looked at his circumstances. Now let's look at Elimelech's choices, his choices. Because we're all going to have to make choices along the way. Isn't that right? Circumstances lead us to choices. So then let's look at his. First thing I see in verses one and two. Well, his choices are in one and two. First thing I see in verse one, let's read verse one again. Uh, first of all, we saw his circumstances in the days when the judges ruled. That's his circumstances. There's this famine, that's circumstance in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Here's his first choice. He decides to abandon God's house of bread. That's what he does. He decides to abandon God's house of bread. Text says that he makes a voluntary decision to leave Bethlehem, Judah, and head to Moab. The name Bethlehem, most of you know, means house of bread. And the name Judah means praise. And although there was not much bread or praise present at the time and indeed it was a time of famine and so there was not much bread and there was seemingly not much praise going on Uh, it, it was the reality of his day but although that was the case Elimelech's faith faith should have led him to remain where God was and to be content with where the Lord had him Paul said I've learned in all things to be content right Uh, And so his faith should have led him to remain there. Bethlehem, Judah in the story represents the place where God wants you. The place that may be a little uncomfortable right now, the place that may not have everything that you wanted to have right now, the place uh, where there may be challenge right now, but it represents the place where God wants you. Had Elimelech been true to his name? Remember, his name means my God is king. If he had been true to his name, completely true to his name, he would not have chosen to run out on God when famine came, but he would have been encouraged to know that in God, watch this, trouble don't last always. Somebody should have said amen right there. Because you can testify with me that in God, trouble will come, But in God, trouble don't last always. Isn't that right? And if if Elimelech had been true to his name, his faith would have have encouraged him to know that, yeah, it's tough right now in Bethlehem, Judah, but KB, trouble won't last always because joy is coming in the morning. But Elimelech chooses to leave his inheritance in Bethlehem, Judah, for what he thought were greener pastors in Moab. Can I just share something with you? A little word of advice? Can I do that? That's a question. Okay, okay, okay. You sure you want to hear this? It may it may be a little tough, right? Don't let the green grass fool you. It's not always as it appears. It's not always as it looks like it is when you get over there. And Elimelech decides that the grass seems to be greener in Moab. And he leaves his place of inheritance, his place of blessing, the place where God wants him to stay. And he travels to where he thinks the grass is greener in Moab. Not only does he choose then to abandon God's house of bread, he next decides to travel to God's washpot. He leaves this blessed place Bethlehem Judah. That although it didn't seem like there was much blessing going on at the time, it was God's place of blessing. It was God God's desired place for him Bethlehem Judah, the place, the house of bread and the place of praise. He leaves this blessed place for a place known as God's washpot. Moab was located just across the Jordan, east of the promised land. Its inhabitants worshipped pagan gods. The Moabites were the descendants of a man named Moab, who was the son of an incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. Just a, just a horrid place. Just an evil place. They were noted for their lawlessness and were fiercely opposed to God. That's the big G God. They were fiercely opposed to him, so much so that in fact, that God gives specific instructions to his people not to ever have any dealings with them. In fact, in Joshua 23, God specifically instructs them not to go to places like Moab. Stay away. Don't travel to those places. Don't interact with those people. Don't do that. Don't go there. Uh, In in, in Psalm 60, verse 8, God describes Moab as his wash pot. Psalm 60 and 8 says that, which means that they were despised and compared to a vessel of water used by slaves to wash the feet of their conquerors or their oppressors. Just a nasty thing. Where foot, wa- what, where, where water was in that had been used to wash feet. Doesn't sound very pleasant, does it? If Bethlehem, Judah represents where God wants you, Moab represents separation from God, out of His will. This move to Moab meant total separation from the things of God not only separation from the place or the the land but total separation from the things of God they could no longer worship at the temple in Moab they could no longer bring their offerings in Moab they could no longer keep the feast that they were commanded by the law to keep in Moab They're separated then from uh, the things of God. They're separated from God's blessed place for them. They were totally isolated from everything that stood for God. There is no way, let me share this with you, to be right with the Lord when one is separated from the things of God. It's impossible to do when 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 his house, when his word, when his work, when his worship and his will are not priorities in one's life. It doesn't matter what one says. Their life says they are separated from God. When our list of priorities is out of place, when those things not don't not even on the list, they're not even priorities in our lives. It's, It's one thing to say that we're close to God. But what does our walk look like? And so being separated from the things of God means trouble for the believer. Not only did Elimelech decide to abandon the house of bread and, t- and travel to God's washpot, then he decides when he gets there to linger there too long. He decides to go, he makes this this terrible decision to go to Moab, but then when he gets there, he stays too long. It was only supposed to be, according to verse 1, a sojourn. It was only supposed to be a sojourn. It was only supposed to be a temporary trip. It was only supposed to be a pass-through, just a brief perusal of the premises. But it turned out, and it turned into a homestead. Because verse two says this, let's read it. Verse two, it says this. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kalion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab, and here's the here's catch, and remained there or continued That's what the text says. It means it says that they got there, and they didn't leave. It got it it indicates that not only did they go into Moab, but it indicates that Moab got into them. What started as days, weeks, months, ending up according to the text, being ten years. It ended up being ten years. You've heard this before, but I want to share it with you again. Here's what this illustrates sin will take you further than you want to go. You've heard it before. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And what else will it do? Y'all help me finish this. It'll cost you. Thank you. Thank you. It'll cost you more. Thank you, Tammy. It'll cost you more. Thank you, John, than, than you're willing to pay. And and, and Limelech is a perfect example of this because he makes a decision, the wrong decision. And watch this, please hear me. Uh, all of us make bad decisions. All of us are guilty of that. But here when when we when we Uh, make the problem worse by not admitting the mistake and lingering and staying rather than repenting and turning around. That's where things get out of control. And so it led him farther than he wanted to go. It kept him longer than he wanted to stay, and it cost him more than he was willing to pay, which brings us to the final point. We've looked at his circumstances. We looked at his choices. Now let's talk about the consequences, right? There were consequences. There's always consequences to bad decisions. And because he decides as the leader of his family to linger in the wash pot, to linger in what was not God's will for he and his family. Now watch this. The, the story, as you well know, will get better. But right now, it's not going too well. It's going to get better. That's why the name of the series is The Best is Yet to Come. But right now, we need to, we need to unpack and walk through the bad part of this story right? Because, because understand that all of us have some bad, that bad decisions and bad choices that we make. And we must understand how to navigate those bad choices because we, th- there's nothing that will prevent us because we're human from making those. But we need to understand we all, so, so, so as we look at the story of Elimelech and his family, we can see ourselves in this story because he had circumstances. We all have circumstances, Don't we? That was a question. (laughs) And as a result of those circumstances, we all make choices, don't we, Martha? And as a result of those choices, oftentimes there are consequences, aren't there? And so we need to understand that. And what do we do do when we make those bad choices? We see at the end of this story in verses 3 through 5 some consequences. I'm going to read it again. Three through five say, says this. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. Consequence number one. The wages. Help me, y'all. If sin is death, right? He he ends up dying because of his bad decision. And here it is. She was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The names of one of the one was Orpah. The other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years and both Mylon and Kalion died. My goodness. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Consequence we see here is number one, death. Right? He dies. His sons die and death. Although it is difficult, it's a serious problem, it's a serious consequence, and, 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 and oftentimes death does not necessarily mean physical death. It didn't mean that for Adam and Eve when God said, the day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. They didn't physically die, but they died spiritually. And so sometimes when we make the wrong decisions, we will separate ourselves from God and we will suffer spiritual death. But here's the thing, not only is death a consequence, here, this may even be worse, collateral damage. Because when we fall out of favor with God, when we are not in line with the will of God, not only do we suffer like Elimelech, Elimelech died, but what about his family? There's collateral damage that we see in the text that we have to be aware of. When we make bad decisions, others will suffer. And so we see that he and his two sons died, and his wife, Naomi, is left without any of them there to help take care of her. It's collateral damage. And let me say this, collateral damage happens in situations that are not as dire and serious as what Elimelech does. And oftentimes it's not death. Oftentimes it is that those that we are responsible for, those uh, that are a part of our lives will suffer various things as a result of our poor choices, right? As, 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 the, as the husband in my family and the father in my family, I see myself personally responsible when things happen. I have to be careful about the choices I make because if I make the wrong choice... If I sign the wrong document, if I allow the wrong thing, if I allow bad things on the TV, if I allow bad things on the internet, if I allow myself to do things that I know are ungodly, then I'm, I'm, I'm presenting, I'm, I'm making way for collateral damage that my family, those that I am responsible for will suffer. If I don't make right choices or if I don't recognize immediately those bad choices that I make and correct them. We have to be aware that there is the possibility of collateral damage. Elimelech ends up in Moab because of his impatience, his lack of faith and not living up to his name and it cost him and his family dearly. So I'm going to leave you with this. We can't let life's famines drive us to Moab. No matter what, hold on to God's unchanging hand. No matter what happens, hold on to God's unchanging hand. And if you do that, if we do that, no matter what it looks like, if we continue to hold on to his unchanging hand, he'll take us all from darkness to light. He'll take us all from weakness to power. He'll take us all from bondage to freedom. He'll take us from tribulation to triumph. He'll take us from grief to joy. He'll take us from gloom to glory. Won't he do that if we trust him? Have you ever trusted him in the, in the face of adversity, in the face of a difficult, seemingly impossible situation, and he did some of that? Has he ever taken you from what you thought felt like death to victory? That's what he'll do. Have you, has he ever taken you from, from sure failure to unmistakable success? Has he ever, because you've hold, held on to his hand and trusted him, no matter what, has he ever taken you from fear to faith? Has he ever taken you from I can to I can? There should have been more than one or two of you. Has he ever taken you from death to life? Everybody that's saved in here should have said yes. Because all of us had a death sentence. But God gave us life. Eternal, everlasting, unending life. And so, even though the circumstances may be difficult and the choices we made may be wrong, we have to trust him and he'll turn things around whatever you do no matter what happens no matter about the virus no matter about the financial situations no matter about any of that no matter what happens don't go to moab (laughs) lord we thank you and we praise you you are our god you are our king lord we love you we thank you for your word there's a lamp to our feet a light to our pathway lord we we need you to lead us and guide us and we ask these things lord in Jesus name keep us out of moab lord keep us out of bad choices and bad decisions in Jesus name we pray amen 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 well There may be someone here who has not yet made that decision to trust him. We open and extend to you the invitation to discipleship and ask that if you're here and you're that person and you'd like to do that, that you let us know. We'd love to pray with you. Welcome you into the kingdom of God, into the family of our Lord Jesus. Uh, If you're here, would you let us know? If you're online, you can certainly pray that prayer. There's no better time than right now, no better time than right now. So would you let us know? Would you signify? Would you stand? Would you whatever you desire to do? And again, as I always say, uh, it's not too late yet if you decide to do it later. But I wouldn't count too much on later because later is not promised. Isn't that right, Tammy? Later is not promised. And So we encourage you to, to come into fellowship with Jesus. Well, amen. If there is no one that has a desire to do that, if you're joining us online, we pray that you've been blessed. We pray that if you're here with us in person, that you've been blessed and that you would take this word and apply it to your everyday life so that the Lord will be able to be magnified in us so that others would see our good works and glorify God, our Father who's in heaven. If there's nothing else, we're going to prepare then uh, to be dismissed. Before we do that, uh, I want to acknowledge any first-time guests we have. If you're here with us and you're visiting with us for the first time here in person, uh, would you stand and share your name with us? Amen. All right. Awesome. Awesome. You can start. Mason and Sarah McGee from Oklahoma. God bless you. Thank you for being here with us. Amen. Yes. 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 God bless you. Welcome, 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 welcome. Yes. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Uh, we'll talk. I know we were supposed to. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. I got your email. God bless you. Thank you for being here. So we, we'd like to say to all of you that are visiting with us, we're so glad that you chose to be here and visit with us today. Even uh, you know, <laughs> even as difficult as it is to get together in person, I miss one. Where? Oh, I'm sorry, yes, I'm so sorry. Oh, well, welcome Mark and Laura, I'm so sorry. Welcome, thank you for being here with us, Mark and Laura and Josh and everybody that's with us today. We're glad that you decided, even as difficult as it is to get together with people, (laughs) that you decided to come out and be with us today. We're honored that you did that. We pray uh, that uh, we were as much of a blessing to you as you were to us. And we invite you to please come back and visit with us again. Uh, God bless you all. If there's nothing else, we're going to prepare then to be dismissed. And um, anything anything else I'm missing? Because y'all know I will forget stuff. I'm good? All right. All right. (laughs) Let's pray. Let's pray and be prepared to be dismissed. Lord, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love and kindness, your word that guides us and leads us. Uh, Now we lift up your name and we say these words. Now unto him who's able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceeding joy, the only wise God our savior be glory majesty dominion and power now and forever let us all say together